Hello and welcome to Scran. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and this is the podcast that shouts about Scotland's diverse food and drink scene. This week, I'm taking a deep dive into the world of Scottish sea salt, with Gregory Marshall from Blackthorn Salt, Anna Hawke from RC Sea Salt, and Darren Peaty from the East Nuke Salt Company. It's graced dinner tables for decades, and personally, I can't have a chippy without a liberal sprinkling, so I'm keen to find out more about the rise of traditional methods that are being used by these producers. Today, I'm joined by Gregory Marshall from Blackthorn Salt. Hi there, Gregory, how are you? I'm very good, thanks, Rodan. How are you getting on? I'm fine, thank you. Um, it's nice to speak to you today. Um, so, basically, we're, I'm just wanting to find out a little bit more about salt, which is a common ingredient in most people's cupboards and we all use it in cooking. Um, you set up Blackthorn Salt, which is a little bit different from. I would say, you know, everybody's day-to-day kind of table salt. Um, so just to take it right back to, uh, probably to you, is probably a bit of a, a daft question, but just for anyone that doesn't know, um, what is the most common salt people would use and how does it differentiate from the salt that you produce? Okay. Um, I think there are, there are three main types of salt. So you have um, sea salt, which is basically seawater evaporated. Uh, you have rock salt, which is sort of hundreds of thousands of years old uh, seas that have been trapped underground and the rocks pile up. And, and the way that you sort of extract that is either through a sort of a continuous miner, which is a large bit of equipment that has huge teeth on the front of it, or it's through explosives. Uh, and then the, uh, uh, the sort of third type is um, done by solution mining. So what they do is they, if there's a huge sort of salt cavern underground, they pump water down into it, and then they bring the brine up, and then they evaporate that in a vacuum. So that is the stuff that you find you know, in your chip shop, the stuff that you pour over. It's, it's a very fine grain. It's, um, you know, they're like sort of small little ball bearings almost. And that is about as pure a sort of salt as you can get, sort of pretty much 99.9% purity. So the type of um, salt that we produce is, I suppose it's a sea salt. So we take the seawater and we evaporate the seawater to, um, to, to be left with, I suppose, salt crystals. Um, but the way that we do it is, is as you sort of touched on before, is, is, is unique in what happens. So we're trying to, if you compare sort of sea salt to places in the Mediterranean, for example, where I don't know if you've ever been and you've seen these huge sort of salt flats and you see the sort of flamingos in the different areas. So they have brilliant weather. It's nice and, nice and sunny. Um, but sadly, in Scotland, we don't quite have that, uh, that same climate. So... What we then th- looked at is like, well, how can we make the best of the, the climate we have? So we're still trying to do the same process. We're still trying to evaporate seawater. But what we're doing is, is stretching the seawater out as much as possible. So we built this thing called uh, a graduation tower or a thorn tower, which is basically, it's a sort of tower that's, uh, that's about sort of eight meters high by 25 meters long. It's, I suppose it's like sort of two double-decker buses on top of each other height-wise to give you an idea of the scale. And um, it uh, it then takes the water uh, down the thorn, so it's stuffed full of blackthorn. Uh, I don't know if you've come across blackthorn before. Have, have you ever been slow-picking slow yeah. gin or anything. Oh, so is that what it is? That's what it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, okay. it's so those you know those huge spikes that you get? 
yeah, that's what uh, that's what we're looking for because the the surface area of the branch is much greater than any other sort of branch. So the, the water can trickle down to more areas. So it can really get to all the sort of sharp thorns and everything. So we stack it in this tower and then the water trickles down. And because of the thorns and because it's a hardwood, it's very good for spreading the water out. And the more we spread out, the more evaporation we get. So it's kind of like, um, always liken it to doing your washing. So if you get your washing out and you uh, scrumple it up in a ball and stick it on top of a wall, um, it doesn't really dry very well. So what we're doing, uh, if you stretch it out as much as possible, it'll dry much better. So we're sort of stretching the water out as much as possible. So more air passes it and more evaporation can go on. And then once we've trickled it up and down the tower, number of times uh, I don't know how many times because it really does depend on the weather and everything we then take it off into a pan for the last part of the process to sort of um, evaporate it off to get those sort of square crystals and in terms of how much the tower does it um, it, it, I suppose it's like kind of like reverse Ribena you know, if you think the concentration at the bottom, we're basically evaporating, doing it in reverse. We're evaporating about that much water with the tower to be left with the concentrate at the end, which we then take into the pan. So it gives you about sort of 90% of the water is evaporated by that process. And so the structure, is it like a living thing then? Are the blackthorns alive within this, or are they cut and just shoved in? They're, they're cut and shoved in. It's quite a painful, painful <laughs> process. You can imagine shoving them all in, but yeah, no, it's it's it, they are the, the blackthorn branches are dead, but and it will need to be replaced probably in about seven to ten years. We're, we're not entirely sure, um, but the the cycle so the branches age are about sort of seven to ten years. So it's a sort of a cyclical thing. So every seven to ten years, we'll just go and harvest the same thing. So it becomes a, a harvest and the sort of circular economy part of it. It just keeps on giving and, and replacing again. So it works quite well in that sort of cycle. So does that mean, have you planted more blackthorn trees or bushes in order to harvest them or do you have to go out and find them in the wild? We have to go out and find them. And, and at, at the time when we first did it, we actually put in adverts into the Scottish farmer and stuff like that to try and, because, you know, it is around, it is in lots of hedgerows, but it's really only in hedgerows. And we did manage to get a bit from uh, from some farmers in Scotland, but actually in the end, we had, had ended up having to go abroad to, to get some. But what we're looking to do now is to team up with farmers to plant on their land so that therefore, when we come to the next harvest, we will be able to take it all locally. Yeah. Um, and so how did you get into this job? It seems quite, uh, I think it's been a bit of a, a journey for you. Uh, um, yeah, no, it's been, it's been interesting. I think, um, yeah, so uh, this is, a, I'm, how do I start? I suppose I'm part of the family business, which ultimately uh, has been sort of importing salt uh, for probably about a hundred years or so. Uh, and about um, sort of 15, 20 years, 20 years ago or so, um, I, I joined the business and I've always been quite keen on actually sort of making making our own salt. Um, it's something that I suppose appeals to me in terms of, you know, I love food and I've always had salt sort of, I suppose, has always been under the skin from an early age. So it kind of combines those two. And, and previous to joining um, sort of salt business I was an architect before that so it's kind of almost brought my sort of 
three loves together of, of salt food and architecture by sort of building this um, this tower. So it's yeah, I think it's it's taken a long time to get here. I think we started by doing a project with Strathclyde University, uh, did a couple of projects with them, and then have just basically, I suppose it's just been gathering momentum uh, until probably two, three years ago when we actually started started to build it. And it looks it looks pretty amazing. And from the pictures I've seen, you look like you're set back from a road. So to people who are driving past, they must be thinking, what is this? <laughs> Uh, do, you get, do you get anyone who kind of stops and comes in to see what is going on or we, we do get a few people but actually we're inside the inside the port so it's a restricted access oh, okay. um, but um, you know we are looking to do a sort of open day and, and stuff to try and get people around because we've had lots of people who want to come and see it as you say it's a really bizarre strange object that sort of sits up there and i think when it started going up we got sort of all sorts of strange messages uh on facebook or whatever oh, what are they doing are they building some nuclear bunker or something you know and so uh, it's been yeah it's been interesting just to speak to people as they as you go on but yeah that road is actually a private road to the port okay um so the you've talked us through the, the method um and the structure but what what was it that made you want to to do this specifically because it's not there's not another one like that in scotland is there no there's not uh, no there's definitely not there's never been one built in the uk like this uh in fact there's this is the only working tower producing uh salts um in the world at the moment so um i think it came back originally to try and look at the most um sort of viable way uh, of utilizing the the sort of environment and, and the wind and whatever we had in Scotland uh, in order to get the most most out of it. So, you know, I, I looked at various different options of sort of uh, greenhouses of just, I suppose, boiling it up with some sort of natural, uh, natural way, uh, but then came across um, these towers in Poland and Germany. And sadly, they stopped um, working I'm not working, they stopped making salt about 60 years ago. Uh, and now they are still, they do still have them, they're still standing, but they're open as sort of tourist attractions and also for respiratory centers. So people can go and breathe in sort of salt, uh, inhale sort of salty air, which is, um, you know, which is quite good for your breathing. Um, so did a bit of research um, by going to look at those and, and that kind of fitted with what I was trying to do in terms of, um, so getting an environmentally sort of sustainable way of producing salt. And um, I was going to ask that. So your the whole process is very much dependent on the weather that we have. Um, so, yes. what kind of concerns do you, you know? It seems like a very environmentally friendly way to do it. And you've mentioned that. What kind of concerns would you have in long term for in, in climate change? Do you, if you know, if we had a big dramatic shift in the weather, is there a way to carry on doing this, or do you have to have it be quite windy and dry? Um, well, I think, uh, I suppose in Scotland, people don't tend to think it's that dry. Uh, and, uh, you know, even at the, actually at the moment as I'm looking, it's raining now. But what we tend to do is, is we switch it off when it's raining. Um, but it, it's if, if it was to get drier, and uh, then that would be better for us. You know, we'd be able to evaporate more. Uh, but actually, there are sort of things that we can do to sort of increase the uh, productivity of the tower. So if we can increase the temperature of the water going through it, for example, that would increase the rate of evaporation. And so I think, you know, if it suddenly gets 
very wet, then that will become an issue. But I, from what I can understand is that the climate change is getting us warmer rather than rather than wetter. So that that should hopefully help us in that respect. And so are you essentially just taking water directly from the sea in front of you and putting it through the tower or is there like any other process that has to happen before or is it any different kind of water? Uh, no, we're, we're definitely taking the seawater. We actually take it from slightly further along the coast. The, the problem with where we are exactly located is that we have the river air coming in. And so what happens is that dilutes the water that we're here. So seawater is usually about three, three and a half percent. And we find that just in front of us, it's about sort of two, two and a half. So if you think in terms of evaporation, that's almost a sort of 30% increase of the amount of water that we'd have to evaporate. So we actually take it further along the coast and we do put it through uh, filters um, to try and get everything out. And then the final stage when we uh, put it in the pan, we also uh, filter it at that stage uh, when the crystals start to form to make sure that we've taken any impurities might be out there as well. But it tends to be the first thing to form is actually the magnesium sulfate and calcium sulfate, which tends to form on the branches of, of the blackthorn. Yeah, so, and you've said you were an architect before joining the family business. So at what point did the, did it all come together for you? Like, were you off doing a job as an architect and you had to come back? Or at what point did you sort of think, right, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to make salt in this big tower. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it was, uh, I think it was a sort of opportune moment. I think the business at the time was based in, in Glasgow and uh, moving down to air anyway. So it was, uh, there was a sort of shift in the business and that seemed like a, a good time, if it were any time that I was going to join and start thinking about making salt, then that seemed to be the time. So it just sort of worked in worked in well in that respect. Um, I still did a bit of architecture after that, but then I ran out of time, to be honest. The business business took over and the architecture just dropped. So it's now an elaborate hobby, I think. I still get the magazines, but that's about as far as I get, sadly. Um, and um, so if anyone's not seen uh, Blackthorn Salt, it comes in really nice eye-catching black and white packaging with, it's like a little flower, isn't it, on the front? That's the blackthorn flower. So if you if you look when it's uh, I think it's around about sort of April, you'll see the the white sort of flowers coming on. They tend to be one of the first flowers you'll see in a hedgerow coming in. And the the salt actually is really amazing. It's like snowflakes, isn't it? It's all very individual. You know, looks very very like nothing I think I've ever seen before. And I used to get like Malden sea salt, and that's fine. Like it's quite rough. Um, but this is completely, I mean, you can take pictures of it, it's lovely. Um, is it the type of thing that you would recommend cooking with on a daily basis instead of your usual table salt? Or is there anything, you know, should people be using it for specific kind of recipes? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I would use it, use it on a daily basis, but um, I wouldn't necessarily throw it in when you're sort of boiling pasta up or something like that. Cause I, but if you're using it in the sort of finishing side or anything like that, if you... I touched on earlier about um, the, I suppose, the, the sort of pouring salt that you, the table salt that you quite often have, that um, is about 99.9% .9 sodium chloride, uh, whereas our salt is, is about 94% sodium chloride. So it has quite a big taste difference. And I think people always say, oh, what difference does that make? Salt, salt. It's like, well, do you know what? If you, if you have a cup of tea, do you drink tea or coffee? Yeah, both. Yeah, quite a yeah, lot. <laughs> yeah. Do you milk or do you add milk or sugar? Uh, just milk. 
just milk. So but you add, if you think you're adding less than 5% into that cup, and that has a huge effect on the flavor and, you know, and the sort of the taste and everything that you, you have. So it's the same. You know, we have 6% of, of different uh, elements that are in there, and that has a huge effect on the flavor, but also has, has an effect on the food that you, that you put it on. So if you were to compare one, one to the other, you, you, with this sort of pouring salt, you get quite a sort of sharp, uh, almost sort of abrupt sort of, yeah, here it is, salt's here, take me, uh, you know, this is great. Whereas with our salt, it's a much more sort of mellower, it sort of rolls over the tongue and really allows the flavors of the food to come out uh, rather than sort of overtaking it. So yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's quite a big difference and as well as the sort of crystals, obviously, they took a long, they took about a year for us to get the right, the right crystals, they take a long time. But. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this. Do you feel like you've, um, if you found your perfect salt crystal in terms of texture and size? Because I know my colleague Kat Thompson interviewed you for her Scotland's Larder, and during that, she you said you were still kind of looking for that perfect salt crystal. Have you found it yet? Um, I think you know it's something. I think what I quite like about the process is that we're always learning something, and there's always something that we can do slightly differently, uh, and. You know what the perfect crystal to to you and the perfect crystal to me is is probably a different thing but generally i think is that you want something that you can sort of pick up in your hands pinch and sort of scrunch up and you get a sort of light sprinkle across your your food and i think we've probably we've probably got there i think there may be one or two that aren't you know 100 percent right one or two crystals but we're getting there we're improving the process we're changing it slightly we change sort of you know we muck around with the temperature and the timing and everything else like that to see but yeah i think we're we're there or thereabouts but i, I think we can we can definitely do better and have you found are people um quite intrigued by the fact that they're obviously they look different and they're not pure white and you know they look like a natural product have you found people are quite intrigued by that or do you have some people been a bit like whoa what's this this doesn't look like normal salt <laughs> yeah i think originally when when we first um first did it and it and it the first produced the salt and we got it out and I was like, oh my goodness, look at that. It's a sort of golden sort of sepia sort of color. I said, oh, we can't have that. People expect white crystals and stuff. So we, so I then looked at putting in different filters and tried loads of different filters and, and you know, got it looking much whiter. But then I tasted it and I was oh goodness, that's revolting. And it, you know, and so it's like, what do you know? It's, it's just, it is a natural product. So let's just in, go with the, go with the flow and say, right, okay, it is natural. And do you know, the majority of people are happy. They don't have any sort of uh, bad comments about it. I mean, there are one or two, there are always going to be one or two, but majority of people are, are happy and content that yes, it's not that sort of fine, white, amazing that you're looking for, but everyone knows what this is a natural product. And uh, the great thing about salt is that nothing can, nothing can live on it anyway. So it's, it's, it's going to be safe. So. Yeah, because that's uh, it's one of the things, isn't it? It's almost medicinal from the past in terms of, you know, these spas that were set up and will help people breathe in because it's quite a medicinal thing. Would you ever go back to your architect roots and build like a spa alongside your, your salt production, have mm -hmm. it going hand in hand like they have done in Europe? I know they're not doing salt anymore, but would you yes. look to expand in that way at all? I, do think, think? I think the first time we, we started going along this line you know quite a few years ago I, I looked and I thought oh this is great you know we can put the tower up we could we can make salt we could to put a spa on we can have a cafe we can have a visitor center it'd be great it'd be all singing all dancing and I sort of looked and I thought well I know nothing about cafes I know nothing about visitor centers I know nothing about spas 
but I do know something about salt. So we'll stick with the salt one. And then once we've done that, we can then think about anything else. Uh, I think, yes, in, in the future, absolutely, you know, it is it is possible. Um, uh, but yeah, when, I don't know. It's something that would be good, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit down the line, I think. We've got other things to get right first, so. And that takes me on to my next question is, one of the byproducts could be slow gin if you end up growing the black thorn yourself. So do you reckon that's something that you could maybe look into or again, are you just going to focus on the salt? No, absolutely. I think that's something, maybe it would be something good to tie in, in with someone. Um, I, interestingly, when we, so in lockdown, we, we, we were supposed to launch the week of lockdown or the week lockdown began round about then and we had sort of chefs coming and stuff. We were going to have a big not big, a sort of a small gathering and uh but that obviously didn't go ahead so so what we did actually is we got a um a box of blackthorn and a, a miniature of slow gin of homemade slow gin and, and sent it out to the to the chefs and people who who couldn't make it just as a sort of sorry you're not here and you know this is this is an awful sort of time but you know, this is for you guys, just for free, and just sort of hopefully the salt. You'll enjoy the salt and and the uh, slow gin. And so you know, I think absolutely, it's definitely in our mind. Um, but uh, we, you know, we can also start making wooden sticks. I think you know, people uh, walking sticks. People used to make a lot of those out of blackthorn as well. So there's there's plenty of things that we can we can tie in with. Yeah, there's lots of lots of things to be looking at. That's for sure. Nice. And um, so how, how does Blackthorn um, differentiate in terms of a business model from the Peacock salt? Because that's obviously your family business. It's been in the family for yeah. years. Is it a, is that a completely separate thing in terms of your businesses? Absolutely. Yeah, completely different. Uh, it is it's sort of kept uh, very much at the side. It's, um, it's going to a completely different market. Also, it's going direct to consumers. Um, you know, Peacock's is very much business to business rather than to consumers. So it's um it's definitely a step into the unknown in that respect uh but it's it's you know it's, it's a challenge i don't think there are many customers that cross across in both in both sides there i mean there are obviously one or two personal people who who will buy it as well but in terms of the crossover it's it's not huge between them so it is it stands alone on its on its own and hopefully will 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 do well <laughs> Um, and what do you find is a, a most one of the most common misconceptions about salt in terms from consumers? Like I'd, I don't know if it's one of those things that has got a bit of a bad rep, like fat. You know, certain fats over the years we've been told not to have and blah blah blah, and that's changed. But do you what, what do you find people think? Oh, salt. This is what I think I know, but actually it's not correct. Uh, I think it probably it's um, so salt is um, gets quite a bad press and. In quite a lot of areas that uh, you know it can cause uh, medical issues. Uh, however, you know to have no salt in your diet is much is much worse. You you need salt, otherwise you will die. It's quite a simple simple thing. However, just don't use too much of it. And generally, where you get too much of it is in processed foods and anything that's processed. You know, even in, even in bread, you know, and cereal and things like that. That's where you know the unwanted salt comes from. But if you're cooking for yourself and doing it yourself, you know you've they, they, I think the UK at the moment is saying it's six grams of um, six grams of salt is your daily intake, and if, if you're salting food yourself, six grams is is more than a teaspoon worth of salt. So it's a huge amount to put on your own food. So if you're conscious about it and you're doing it yourself, 
there's, there's no problem. If you're going to go and buy stuff that is processed and things like that, then that's when you have to be wary of, of what has been put in there because you know people use salt to enhance the flavours and, and that's that's why it's put in there. Okay, um, so the final bit of the podcast is um, two quick fire rounds. The first one being desert island drinks. So if you could only pick three drinks to take onto a desert island, what would they be and why? Uh, well, I think it'd have to be slow gin too, because I was hoping the desert island might have some blackthorn that I can I can make it as well. Um, and then I, I think it probably it I think it probably has to be uh, red wine because that's something I can happily drink um, at uh, in, for quite a long time. And then a beer as well. Just, it sounds very alcoholic, my three drinks, don't they? But um, I'm hoping that the seawater, I can maybe evaporate some and get water from it anyway. But so, uh, And then a beer, because it's just, you know, it'll quench my thirst nicely. I'm not really an alcoholic. I don't <laughs> it's fine. Most people say three alcoholic drinks. I think I've only had a few people say anything that's not three alcoholic drinks. Yeah, so well, you see, I don't, I don't drink tea or coffee. So therefore, you know, just that leaves me with water or, or alcohol, really, as far as I can see. So. <laughs> um, and the last one is my life in food, which is five questions about food that I'll just ask you. If you think of the first thing that comes to your head, just say it. Sure. Um, so whenever I'm hungry, I think of... Oh, it's steaks, something beef of some description, I think. Comfort food for me is? Chocolate. My favourite childhood dessert is? Oh, uh, there's a uh, pudding my mother used to make, which is chocolate cream pie, which is basically a sort of chocolate mousse on a, on a biscuit base. Can't beat it. My food heaven is? Oh, it's probably a good Sunday roast with Yorkshire puddings and everything, I think. And my food hell is? Uh, probably something like a, a prawns, a load of prawns, because I'm allergic to them. So that would just um, would set me good. off. So. <laughs> it wouldn't end well. <laughs> no, it wouldn't end well, no. Um, well, thank you very much. So it was um, really nice to speak to you. And yeah, it's very interesting. And I'll need to come down and see the tower at some point when it's when we can. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you're more than welcome. Uh, come down, give us a chat, come and have a look around and, and have a tasting. We can we can compare different salts and see if you notice the flavours. And, and thank you very much for, for today, Rosalind. It was great to speak to you. That's OK. Thank you very much. Today I'm joined by Anna Hawk from Orsay Sea Salt and Darren Petey from the East Nuke Salt Company. Hi both, how are you? Yeah, good, thank Hi. you. Very well. Uh, yeah, fine, thank you. Nice to see you both. Um, and uh, Darren, I know we, we've spoken before, so it's nice to yeah. actually see you and not be at the end of the phone this time. Yeah, <laughs> um, So just going to start at the beginning with both of you. Um, so Darren, I'll come to you first. Um, you are, for anyone that's watching the video for this, you can see behind Darren, there's a set up there. Um, but for anyone who's just listening on the podcast, um, you are setting up the East Newt Salt Company. So can you kind of tell me a bit about how you came to this point? Because it was a bit of a kind of a journey for you, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. You'll need to excuse the noise behind this as well. Okay. Uh, in a way. Um, yeah, St Martin's has nine salt pans, um, former salt pan houses, uh, the last remaining windmill in Fife. Uh, I'd, you know, I'd always seen the area as, as a kid. I then left for 18 years, had that kind of thing where you have your own children and you get a kind of pool for home. 
uh, brought the kids back. Uh, and one day I was just walking down the salt pans in Sibonans and it came to me, I thought, why is no one doing salt? Uh, I knew nothing about salt back then. Uh, it was 250 years since Sibonans had produced salt. And in that moment, I thought, well, we've got to do this. And we've created uh, what aims to be Scotland's largest sea salt producer uh, in St. Lawrence. It's, uh, it's been quite a journey. I'm sure, you know, Anna's been through much the same. <laughs> uh, it's uh, when you have these crazy ideas of let's start a salt company, I don't fully think you really understand what's involved. Uh, oh, oh, I completely agree with you there. Yeah, it's emotional turmoil, really, isn't it? You think, yeah, completely. Yeah. Sleepless yeah. nights, fundraising yeah. <laughs> for money, uh, trying to, you know, although we we kind of produce salt very differently, Anna, um, it's trying to to get your head for me anyway around the kind of engineering elements. I'm no engineer. Oh, I. Uh, honestly, your sort of process really fascinates me, actually. So I'm going to have to pay you a visit one day because it's it's really that's cool. That's um, yeah, as I noticed the other day, you guys are going to be making a gin as well, which I just think is fab because we're all for sustainability. And that's really, really interesting. Definitely have to give that a try. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what we're interested in, like yourself, is sustainability. I want nothing, you know, when we take the seawater, I don't want anything returning back to the sea. Um, and for a, from a commercial business point of view, um, if we can use our byproducts to create other products, um, yeah. that, that in turn generates revenue. And one of the key drivers for me is employment. Uh, so that allows us to create more employment in the area. So yeah, yeah. the gym is going to be called Panhouse Number no. 9 um, in reference to our nine panhouses. And a, a good friend of mine came up with a slogan, uh, this will knock your pan in. Uh, because it's going to be extremely strong, but we're not using that slogan. <laughs> so, uh, if you don't mind me asking, how sort of much salt do you think you'll be making, like per average, say a month? What's, what's your harvest rate? We're, we're aiming to produce about four tons of salt per month. Wow! Um, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. That's impressive. Um, yeah, so. Us here in Isla, we're hoping to make about 80 kilos a month. Right. About 80 kilos. So we're just really small size. The evaporation period for us takes quite a long time because it's fully weather dependent. So it can take sort of two to three weeks. So at the moment, yeah, it's just going to be very small scale. Um, but hopefully we will sort of gradually increase. Um, and it's just really for us, it's keeping the natural nutrients in our water here off Isla um, yeah. and just trying to sort of do it as slowly, sustainably and without interfering in the process, really. That's that's sort of what we're aiming for here. But um, yeah, as I say, it's really fascinating to hear about what you're up to. Um, it's mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah. And Anna, what so what's your what's your journey into um, producing salt? It's, uh, as you've said, you, you both have a different way of going about it. So what's what's your what's your way? So we started sort of looking into this just over two years ago. Um, I've got two small children, we four year old and two year old, and my husband's a fisherman here on Isla, fishes out of the village of Portenhaven. And I stopped working and started 
just be at home with the kids. And over time, I basically got a hobby of just making salt. Um, and I noticed from just through my f- husband's career, really, like how good quality, you know, it's grade A waters here, the seafood is top quality, and just how salty actually the air and everything is here on Isla. So I just started investigating it and spent a long time testing different samples of water, checking the salinity of it all, and realised that actually what we've got here on the coast of Isla is pretty special. Um, so on the average coast of Britain, you get about 35 grams of salt to your gallon of seawater, uh, put to your litre, sorry, of seawater. But um, where we will be harvesting ours from, which is off the island of Orsay and the tidal stream between Portnehaven and Orsay, um, it comes at about 78 to 85 grams of salt per litre. So wow. that's really, yeah, it's really salty. As I say, it's just at this one point called the kettle, which is where it's the three tides meet and it all kind of bubbles. So we wouldn't be able to access it if we didn't have the boat. So that is one handy thing. I've basically whined and whined and whined at my husband until he agreed to let me do this. <laughs> um, and he's now been incredibly supportive and yeah, it's fab. So we've got the boat all kitted out as well. Um, it'll fish normally for crab and lobster throughout the week. And then we'll um, use it whenever it's time for harvest just to access that point. Uh, so yeah, our aim is really just small scale artisan and to sort of show what else Isla has to offer. When anyone hears of Isla, they all think of whiskey. Um, but our coastal sort of waters and our nature and wildlife and everything here is all also wonderful and fabulous. And our waters are greedy. Next stop is America, really. So I thought, let's harvest this and let's show what else Scotland and Isla has to offer. Yeah. So it's probably a daft question, but when you say, so do you do you go to that point in the sea and literally just take the water and then put it somewhere to dry out for the salt? Like what, what is the process of? So, of- we'll, so it gets um, pumped into a large IBC onto the boat deck and then the IBC will then be carried up to not carried, that's a ridiculous <laughs> phrase. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we were strong here in Isla, but we're not that strong. Yeah, you must be, you must be. <laughs> the IBC then gets taken uh, in a van, in a trailer, um, up to the evaporation area, which sits in a field above the sort of above the cliffs where we're harvesting from. Uh, and then gets pumped through filters and into the polytunnel, basically into a large sort of salt floor but we won't be walking across ours it doesn't take up the whole of the polytunnel we also have a like small kitchen area inside our tunnel as well um which is just to for um, sort of our ppe and all these things and a sink for hand washing and all that type of stuff will all be inside our tunnel um and it will be raised slightly our salt floor so hopefully we'll be able to walk around it um or we can walk around it and yeah it then takes about two to three weeks Hopefully we're going to have some lovely sunshine. We've had so much rain here on Isla, it's been a bit depressing, but hopefully the sun will come out. Um, it's a constant wind down in Port Haven as well. It's kind of what it's known for. There's a constant breeze. So that helps speed up our rate of evaporation as well. So fingers crossed for sunshine and lots of nice warm breeze to carry the evaporation away. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. And then, and then in the end, you're basically left with salt crystals. And do you have yeah. to do anything so, to them, or is that that's it? So we then just harvest them as the basic salt crystal. Uh, and package them. So we're aiming for fully sustainable packaging. We packaged in glass jars with a cellulose seal, and then they'll be sold all around Scotland. We've got a few suppliers lined up. I've also had a lot of interest from North America, which is really exciting. Um, so we're just trying to get it set up so that we can send ships some out there. And you can also buy it online from us as well at our website. Uh, but yeah, so we've had all of our salt tested um over the last year we've sent many many samples away and one of the benefits of our process with the natural evaporation means that it leaves the key nutrients we're not sort of doing anything to the, the natural salt itself so it still contains like it's magnesium calcium potassium and iodine which is really what we're sort of wanting to get that value so um we're not going to add any anti-caking agents or anything to it either. It's just pure 100% RCC salt. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, and Darren, you mentioned that the there was a history of salt within St Monans and Fife, um, and it but it died off. What 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 happened there, and how does it feel to kind of be bringing that back if a bit of an engineering nightmare right now? Um, yeah, I mean, so John Armstrong who was the kind of local laird baron at the time, uh, 1771. Uh, he started up the Newark Coal and Salt Company. Um, Pittamine Coal was, you know, the creme de la creme. They used to burn eight tonnes of scrap coal from the colliery to make one tonne of salt. I mean, the, the environment must have, must have been brutal. <laughs> um, and then 1823, Newark Coal and Salt Company ceases trading due to cheaper imports, taxation, um, salt disappears from St. Monans, uh, although we're left with the kind of relics of the past. Um, and then, you know, 250 years this year, uh, you know, we'll start producing salt again. We we use a very different method to you, Anna. Um, yeah. we, we use vacuum evaporation. That's what allows us to, to go to such a scale um, yeah. Behind us there, you see, I'll just explain the, the kind of process, Rosalind, if that's all right. Yeah. Uh, much like yourself, Anna, we go to Ely, Grady Waters, pump uh, the water into IBC tanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We don't lift the bone. We're not that strong. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to come and see us do it. It really yeah. is quite amazing. <laughs> I would love to see a man lift a ton of water. <laughs> That'd be incredible. Um, and then, I mean, our, our process actually is very similar until we get to the engineer angle, because once again, it's putting the seawater through filters uh, to remove any potential nasties, microplastics, all that kind of stuff. Um, then in the black tank behind me, which is the brine tank, water, fresh water spins around that at 96 degrees. Um, it's under vacuum, so water boils at 100 degrees. When it's under vacuum pressure, we can boil at 50 degrees. Um, distillation occurs going through the big tube there, goes through the heat exchanger, water spins around that, cools the steam, turns back into water. Um, the seawater goes in at 3% salinity, comes out at a different figure to that. I'm not willing to say what that is. <laughs> 
Um, and then from there, we then pour the, the brine into our crystallizing pans. All our energy that we start from source one finishes straight through to the, the crystallizing, everything's recycled. Um, and then the salt forms on the top, gets heavy, sinks to the bottom. Um, and exactly like yourself, Anna, all the key nutrients and everything still yes. in the salt. So it's, yeah. uh, it's an engineering masterpiece, I believe. No, completely. I mean, it looks like it there behind you. It's quite fascinating, really. Um, yeah. Another salt company. Yeah. But how I got to this point was, um, and it's so great that we're talking, you know, two salt yeah. companies in Scotland. Um, because when I started trying to find information about, you know, how do you set up a salt company, nobody was very forthcoming. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then a, a woman, Marjorie O'Malley, who was Island in Sea Salt, messaged me one night saying, we have a salt company. You'll not be getting information from anybody. We found it very challenging. And then the next week we flew across to Ireland. She showed us all around our Kieran's premises. Um, we came back and thought, are we going to do this? You know, that looks like a mighty big task. Um, and then we just thought, me and my wife thought, we're doing this. And then Marjorie, bless her heart, gave us their engineer. Oh, um, wow. And he flew across from Ireland. He's been working here for the last five weeks. Um, he's away home for a week and then he comes back and we're, we're into production. The man is a masterpiece. I don't know what I'm going to do when he leaves. <laughs> That's really, that's great though. That's so, you know, there is generosity out there, isn't there? Um, and for me, you know, I'm willing to show anybody about, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to show, we get a lot of tourists here in Isla um, and be able to take it down and show us what we're up to and uh, let them see like the water where it comes from and explain all the tidal things and the sort of currents and everything to them all and show it all off. Um, not me. I have to say that's my husband's domain, but I'm not knowledgeable about the tides at all. Um, but yeah, I really, it's fab getting to chat to you. Um, as I said yesterday to Rosalind, uh, I've never crossed paths with you before, so it was fab finding you on Instagram and things like that and getting to see what you're up to. Yeah. I've actually been working on a, you know, a kind of tourist kind of element for Scotland. Um, yeah. You know, the, the kind of, the salt journey of Scotland pioneering, you know, yourself, Blackthorn, Isla Sky, you know, us, we're all the kind of different corners of the country. Um, yeah. And I really think that, you know, I love that collaborative approach where, you know, there's only four of us in the country. Yeah. Um, and working together, is, and I've spoke to, you know, Blackthorn and Chris and Mina, Isla Sky as well. Um, and it seems we're all kind of forward thinking people who's willing to, you know, really work yeah. to develop the... No, that would be that would be great, really. Yeah, it would. That's a good idea. Yeah. Heard it, heard it here first, a salt trail. Next thing I know, it's gone. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> um, so is there... So there was obviously um, history of salt in Fife. Was there anything similar in um, Isla at all? Like that kind of thing? So or It is something that we are struggling to actually sort of find any historical information of. We're aware that the old crofters... Um, used to sort of make salt for themselves. They would just basically boil up a pan on the croft from the seawater. And even the older generation still who have grown up on crofts around the coast of the island remember sort of being sent out 
by their parents to go down to the sea and harvest the salted, salt sort of crystallised seaweed. Mm-hmm. And they used to stay at home and that was their snacks that they would sort of sit and eat that with their dinner. Um, but nobody is really, at the moment, aware of salt being made to sort of any scale. It was all just for their own private use in their home. I feel there's there's one sort of geological point on Isla where it's called Salt Pan Point. So I reckon there's obviously a story behind that. Yeah. Um, but nobody anywhere can tell me. So if there's anybody out there listening and you know the story behind Salt Pan Point, then please get in touch because I would love to know. It's I'm literally going around asking everybody I bump into, but nobody seems to know this story. You can't find it anywhere. Um there's no records of it. So, yeah, if you're out there and you know, please give me a shout because um, we'd, we'd love to learn about it. The thing, is, the thing is, Anna, you know, even like we have, you know, visibly the nine salt pans, the windmill um, on the May Island, there was a salt pan across there. There was kind of yeah. bucket, bucket pots along the coast, you know, huge industry. Um, and like yourself, trying to find information um, yeah, we're we're doing a heritage pro- uh, project where we're rebuilding one of the original salt pan houses back to its original condition. Oh um, wow! And when we're speaking to architects and historic environment Scotland, there's a lot of guesswork going on there. Okay, yeah. Nothing, you know. Sir John Armstrong, as great as he was as an industrialist and a politician and so on, um, he was extremely terrible at recording things. Um, and what I've, what I've done throughout our journey, and my wife gets sick of everybody, I know who enters this building gets sick of it. Um, I've documented from day one. Yeah. I've photographed the whole journey. I've wrote a journal. Uh, I've got my plans and a kit, everything. So in 250 years' time, when other crazy people like us come along and build this film, they can have all of our. You know, Do you know, for me, it's just so nice to know that there's some other people out there like myself who are that sort of keen about it and um, sort of, yeah, because it, it's the same as me. I think my husband looks at me like I'm totally nuts. Yep. Um, yep. And I've got two small children and I have to say that my little boy, um, who's four, is my biggest sort of supporter and he's so funny. He comes in. When I first started sort of playing around with all the different salts, there'd be salt jars everywhere and he'd come in and he'd like stick his finger in and taste the salt and he'd be, oh, I love salt, mommy, your salt is amazing. As he's trying not to spit it all out all over the place. And still to this day, he swears he loves my salt, but bless him. Yeah. So no, it's really nice to get to chat to you and um, yes. hear your story. Yeah. And yours, and yours. So, well, so basically you are both, you're making sea salt from two different parts of the sea in Scotland. But I imagine they're going to differ quite a lot. I mean, Dan, you won't know because you're not in production yet, but I'm assuming, you know, you will have a bit, you know, having spoken to Gregory Blackthorne, obviously that's, and I've got some of his salt. It's very crystallised. It looks amazing. It's nice, like snowflakes. And so what, what do you, Anna, you'll know what yours looks like. And Darren, what, what do you, what do you think will be the differences in the way it looks and it tastes, if you can possibly imagine? Yeah. I mean, I've got an indication of what our salt will look and taste like um, because we did small batch salt um, under, you know, kind of mini version of what we have in the background here. It's, you know, the pyramids, the flakes, 
um, beautiful light song. Uh, we did some filming with the uh, quite a large BBC programme recently, um, and I small batched some song for them. And the presenter, I don't know if you're allowed to say who it is. Yeah, you can, I think I know who it is. And I yeah. Think I, yeah, yeah, but you can say it's fine. All right, great, right. So <laughs> it, was, it was Michael Portello in the Great British Railways journey. Um, and we went, you know, we did six hours of filming, talking about history and that. And then we went along to Pit and Ween, uh, where my wife's the head chef at the Dory Bistro Gallery, this amazing seafood restaurant, Pit and Ween. And um, it was quite funny because Michael's got salt in his hand and he's going, oh, isn't it amazing? You know, it looks so lovely. And I said, oh, yeah. And he's, I said, you know, it packs a punch and then it's got nice sweet tones at the end and all that. This poor guy, much like your your son uh, <laughs> is sitting there packing the salt in because we had to do so many takes. Um, we then gave it to a lot of local producers in the area and um, they create bagels, chocolates, all that kind of stuff. The feedback's been great. Um, but until 10 days time, when we've got, you know, volume and area in the crystallizing pan, um, it'll be very intriguing to see, you know, how it, how it forms. Um, yeah. But it will be like a sea salt flake, uh, very different to, to Gregory's at Blackthorn, um, very, very different to that kind of formation. Yeah, if you don't mind me interrupting, sorry, I'm just, uh, how many of you will it take to sort of put this into production? How, is it just going to be yourself running it or have you got a few employees already? My, my aim when I came back to the village um, was to create employment. Um, for young people yeah. not to have to move away. I don't, basically, I don't want people experiencing what I experienced, you know. I left and it was very difficult to get back in uh, because yeah. of house pricing, things like that. Uh, so I'm all about employment. Uh, I mean, this this system behind me here uh, and the great people we have worked with, all the tradespeople in the village, electricians, engineers, plumbers, the system is essentially buttons that you press, everything's automated, um, harvesting is the, the kind of physical element. We've currently got four people uh, working for us and uh, with other ventures that we've, we've got coming up in yeah. other areas that we're going to go into. Because I imagine you'll not just be, well, you might, I don't know, we're not just looking at the food scene. Uh, we want to... Uh, yeah, we've got a few things sort of, um, yeah, coming sort of I, rattling away in the background. Yeah, I um, think if, if you were just if you were just to sell salt, you might not make a commercially viable business. You've got yeah. to go into to other things using the um, product. Yeah, so we're working closely actually ourselves at the moment with um, the our local restaurant in Bowmore, the Harbour Inn, which is owned by sort of the same company as Bowmore Distillery. Yeah. So I'm working closely at the moment with the head chef there. Uh, who's fab, he's so talented, um, and we're producing a special flavoured salt for them to launch onto their menu um, and then hopefully take it further. So I'm really lucky here in Islet, it's a very sort of small, close-knit community and we've had a lot of support, uh, which is fab. I really couldn't have done it without everybody. Um, even, you know, getting preparations for when the polytunnel and things have to go up, it's all relying on the local boys yeah. who can all come and give us a give us a hand so we're really really lucky we are it's um yeah the thing is, the thing is Anna, i think you know once again there's a similarity that we both have it's yeah. um 
what I, I've kind of built the story of the Eastview Salt Company that, you know, it's, it's maybe my business on paper, but it really belongs to the community. Everyone's yeah. had a heart, everyone's had a hand in it. Um, and I think that's, you know, why, why it works so well. Um, you know, from, I know this is a food thing, Rosalind, but from plumbing to electrics to engineering and that, this whole village has been involved. Um, yeah. You need that support. You know, it's good. Completely. Yeah, completely. Um, sorry, Rosalind. I was going to say, um, Dan, you got that through your, your crowdfunding, didn't you? You got quite a lot of local businesses to donate. Yeah. I, I When we did a crowdfunder, I wanted to celebrate once again the local food businesses in the area. Um, so we did like Nice New Kiln House, did a smoke box, smoke fish box. Um, Penman's, the butcher, did a butcher box. Uh, the dory they gave, uh, we're doing half-day salt harvesting experience, followed by lunch at the dory, and then Billy Boyer, Michelin-starred chef at Cellar. Um, yeah. He is fantastic. Uh, I mean, so is Ruth and Barney at the dory. Um, so Billy's doing a five-tasting course menu after the people have been to, to salt harvest. Uh, so we raised, well, on the crowdfunder, we raised 27000 and then a rather kind local person uh, pitched up and gave us £30,000. Oh, wow. Which was yeah. incredible. But we're now, well, we're in, I think we're about £163,000 in. No going back now. <laughs> no going back now. I mean, all you can do really is laugh and just say, yeah, it'll be fine. But I mean, it sounds, your plans, everything's amazing. And yeah, you know, you're going to have no baller sort of turning that over and, and getting back and I think it'll be a great success for you. Well that's it. I mean our salt retails at 29.95 for 125 grams um just so we can get our money back. No it doesn't mostly <laughs> <laughs> No but I don't know if anyone will be able to see me trying to have a diplomatic face there. So <laughs> I was literally like uh, I feel like he's being sarcastic but um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't, yeah. What, what are you retailing for, Anna? We, we're going to be about five ninety-five for one hundred twenty-five grams. So at the moment, we're still setting out our prices. So I've got, I don't want to say anything just yet, but we're we're looking roughly the same. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're we're hopefully going to be producing a couple of different flavors quite yeah. quickly, um, and a couple of different jar sizes as well. We've actually had a lot of interest from sort of hotels and B and Bs and things to use our salt as complimentary gifts. Oh, nice! So we're really looking at kind of getting a smaller jar as well, as well as you know your normal commercial size jar. So yes. at the moment, it's um, yeah. One of the hardest things I have to say, actually, as great as it is being on Isla, and obviously it's Isla that makes our salt special, and um, the islands are saying. Is it does prove difficult. There's a lot of obstacles to face trying yeah. to set up a business here on Isla. Um, I mean, for example, our polytunnel took it, it took three months to get to Isla from the south of England. So it left and then it took three months to get here. And then it got completely lost for three weeks at one point in there. Um, I mean, the type of thing. Yeah, these are things I know that happens forever, but as I say, the second you sort of mention Isla and the Scottish Islands, people all go, Oh my goodness, no, we can't do that. No, we can't help you. No, we can't deliver there. 
So it is definitely proving, um, you know, so getting our first load of packaging stuff here at the moment is also starting to prove to be another obstacle that we're going to face. I mean, it's doable, obviously, completely doable, but we just really want to get it right from the get-go. We want to make sure that where we're getting it from, what we're doing is completely sustainable. We want to be able to trace our glass jars right back to their origin and just, yeah, really hit the nail on the head. So I will get back to you with our prices, hopefully, in the next, the next week or so, we will be launching our labelling and jars and everything for the public to see. Brexit was a massive problem for us. Um, well, not so much a problem, actually. It was kind of, they used it to their advantage because the, the kit that we've got in the background there, we shipped in from the Netherlands. Um, okay. all, of our, all of our kit is reconditioned. I didn't want, you know, China, for example, building new tanks for us and they were already out there and we could reuse what had been in industry previously. But when two days before they were due to ship across to us, uh, they phoned us up and said, you need to pay an extra £1,300. Um, and I said, why? And they said, well, it might not get through with Brexit. And I thought, we're really oh. fleeced here. But we paid yeah. it. The kit arrived when it was meant to arrive. Um, but, I mean, three months for a polytunnel, that's determination. <laughs> it was, uh, basically, the, the main problem, it turned out, was... Nobody really knew where it was going. Like they obviously knew the address was Isla, yeah. but they didn't kind of understand how to get there. Sort of the chain of passing from um, delivery service to delivery service. So I think it just kind of did a few loops of England before it finally made it to Glasgow. And then when it got to Glasgow, I had three different companies call me to say that they had it. And I think they were all sort of saying, well, we don't deliver to Isla, so, you know, them over there on the east side, they can get it and they might take it to Isla. And it was just, yeah, we've had these problems for a long time. So my polytunnel is my most prized possession. Wait, wait. Um, I'm going to wrap it in a great big ribbon, give it a name. I might actually put that out there. Anybody that can think of a name for our polytunnel, <laughs> <laughs> suggestions welcome. Um, it's, it's literally like part of my family. It sounds so silly, but it is this polytunnel is so precious. Um, and I do sound a bit crazy saying that, but it really is. <laughs> no, I, I get you. Those, those tanks are pretty special to me as well. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, so, guys, do you think that obviously you're you're kind of newly coming into this, and you know, um, Gregory Blackthorn's quite new, and Isla Sky's been established for a wee while. But do you think it's the desire for like local artisan produce that's pushing forward this kind of thing? You know, your people want these types of products now or yeah. do you think yeah, yeah. You, you you wouldn't have been doing this if there wasn't a demand obviously but you are obviously very both both very passionate about it so is it you know the way that we've all changed and how we consume things we want like a local artisan product i would just say so yeah sorry darren carry on um i mean here on isla my experience of it especially as there is a big market here for us the it's a very big tourist industry and they all look for locally made things, um, local sort of artisan products. And there is a gap here on Isla for that. Even local people themselves, you know, they're really supporting it and say they'd like to use it. But yeah, I think Scottish produce is, um, you know, it needs the support. And I think if people sort of get out there and try it and we push it, it's something that they will all realise just how wonderful it is right on their doorstep. Yeah, 
we, we are exactly in the same position here. The similarities are incredible because we are, the East Nuke's a massive tourist area. Um, we've really, over the past five, six years, maybe even longer, have really turned into a foodie destination. Um, you know, we've got Ardross Sparrow Shop. I don't know if you saw those guys with Gordon Ramsay and Gino. Did you see yeah. that? <laughs> like, I mean, the, the Pollock family have done amazing with that shop. We've got the Bowhouse Food Market, um, you know, the, the local seafood like yourself, Anna. And I want to be part of that. You know, I want to be the, the kind of seasoning, um, you know, to the kind of party um, and playing on the, the history and the heritage and, you know, just add the value. I mean, you on highly, I mean, you're starting off on a really good strong point there. Uh, yeah. because the tourist industries you know, phenomenal on that. Yeah, we're really lucky. And I mean, the fact that we've got the support of um, like the Harbour Inn, who are Beaumont Distillery and Lafroy and these things, is it really is big for us to have that support. I mean, that opens so many doors to us. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to, you know, produce some really great products and sort of, yeah, together. It's, it's exciting. It is exciting. I think for everyone involved, really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I was going to ask. A couple of things was, what would you like to see your salt used in? Um, in terms of you know, salted caramel has been a massive thing. Do you think there's anything that could explode in the same way again using salt, or or in an ideal world, what would you love your salt to be part of? It's two questions, I suppose. Uh, we, <laughs> we uh, oh, this is a difficult one for us because we we're working on a lot of products with a lot of kind of high profile people in areas of industry. So how to answer that? I would say that we're positioning ourselves where we would like to be, um, you know, we, we want to be a high-end salt brand um, that works very much within the kind of high-end area. We've also created some innovative products. Uh, we've got an innovation award from the Scottish government so we've got this one-of-a-kind product coming out. But at this kind of stage, we can't really talk about that kind of stuff. So it's... Yeah, no, I'm completely with you there, Darren. It's so frustrating. There's so many things that I'd love to be able to say as well, but it's just holding everything back right now until our official launch date. Yeah. Well, we need to, I need to come back to you on that one then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and Darren, just quickly, how... This is... Sorry, again, if this is a stupid question, but oh. how are you making gin? Like how is because I know that um, with Blackthorn, their your byproduct could be slow gin because of Blackthorn. But what is yeah. what is it that, from you that's that's the ability to make gin? Basically, we we have nine hundred liters of distilled seawater every time we create a brine. Um, that then goes off to a distillery, which I cannot name at the moment either. <laughs> um, and then that will be um, turned into into the gin. These uh, these are very awkward questions, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's really exciting. Like I just, I mean, I am a fan of a gin. Yes. So that was really, um, really intriguing to me. So I'm excited to taste that. Well, that yeah. sort of point of production really is quickly as you start the salt. The, the minute we start uh, getting 900 liters of distilled water, I've got a meeting on Saturday with the distillery. Uh, and then that will just start getting shipped off. We're kind of going through the kind of botanics at the moment. Um, how yeah. do we make it represent the local area, all that kind of stuff? I'll uh, I'll send you a bottle of it. Oh, please do. Yeah, please do. That would be fab because 
I am uh, definitely happy to be a gin taster. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, what I mean, I'm not going to ask you what the future holds because I feel like you're not you're not really going to be able to answer that. I will I will come back to both of you because I feel like there's there's more to be explored here. But um, do you? I mean, you're obviously just both setting up, but. Do you reckon you would be able to expand in the future or do you think that you're quite happy with the production you have now? Nope, I want to grow. I want to grow fast. Um, <laughs> I want, uh, I'd like a purpose-built purpose building in the village that represents the heritage, a cook school, an education hub, um, you know, a cafe and, and the salt works. Uh, I want, I don't want to sit still. It's uh, It's been 250 years since someone was mad enough to do this so I go for it but may as well properly go for it. I think that's brilliant. Like uh, I've sort of got the same thought processes. I really want to expand. I do want I don't want to be start producing too much salt. One of our things is that we are small scale. It makes it, you know, more rare for people to get hold of hold of our salt. Um, but I do want to start, you know, aiming into the touristy side and the heritage, even off um, Orsay Island itself off the coast of Port Haven and the fishing village and things where we live there's so much heritage to that and this sort of life of uh, the fishermen and things there as well I really want to sort of tie it all together um, and go down some other routes that I have planned but you'll have to come back to us come back in a year's time and see how we're getting on Okay, that's fine. That's great. Um, so just to sort of um wrap up the podcast, there is um two kind of sort of quick fire question rounds. Um, the first one's desert island drinks. So um, Anna, I'll start with you. If you could only take three drinks onto a desert island, what would they be and why? Um, so this one actually, good question. So Deer Island Rum, which is a new rum that has just come out from the island of Judah. Um, so I'm going to give them a wee shout out. And they just launched on Saturday there. Managed to get my hands on a bottle. There is no rum left. So that is a good sign for them. It was lovely. So definitely a bottle of dairy and the rum. Probably a bottle of whiskey. I'm also a whiskey drinker. This sounds really bad. It sounds like I, I do not drink a lot. I just... <laughs> just like um, a bottle of whiskey, probably Brickladdy, and um, oh, I don't know actually. That's this is a hard one. Um, I, I, probably the botanist gin actually. You know, or number nine gin, still number nine gin. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. yes, that's <laughs> what I'll go for. <laughs> Uh, and Darren, what about you? If you could take three drinks onto a desert island, what would they be and why? Uh, I think much the same as you, Anna. I'd be whiskey, uh, I like monkey's shoulder, uh, Kintyre gin. Uh, they're a friend of ours. Definitely take their gin on. And quite frankly, I love red wine. Um, so any, I'd take a case of red wine. <laughs> any, any brand will do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the last the last one is actually properly quick fire questions so Darren I'll start with you it's called my life and food and it's five questions all to do with food if you just say the first thing that comes into your head if that's okay yeah okay okay whenever I'm hungry I think of fish comfort food for me is smoked fish my favorite <laughs> my favorite childhood dessert is 
Angel's delight. <laughs> my food heaven is. Oh, a nice big steak. And my food hell is. Oh, spoutfish. Okay, Anna, I'll come to you. Whenever I'm hungry, I think of. Uh, chocolate. Comfort food for me is. Um, macaroni. My favourite childhood dessert is. Uh, brownie. Food, my food heaven is. Uh, scallops. And my food hell is. Cockles. Oh, nice. Well, thank you very much. That was um, really interesting and it was nice to have you introduce each other as well. So like, I feel like we've started we've started a nice friendship there from like two different business owners. So yeah. yeah. Thank you. It was fab to get to talk to you, Darren. It was great. Yeah. And you are. Thanks to my guests Anna, Darren and Gregory, and thanks to you for listening to this episode of Scran. If you've enjoyed it, please rate and review us and remember to subscribe. Scran is a laudable production for The Scotsman and is co-produced and hosted by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed this week by Mark Wilson.